don't know. Damn it. <laughs> Go. Okay. Welcome, 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 everyone, to another episode of 3038 and Thriving slash Ultimate Bachelor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So today's episode. Oh, I can. Why can I hear myself? I can hear myself. I know. That's why you. That's half the reason why you don't normally wear those aren't working. There's off. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> so today's show is going to be about mental health, and the reason I wanted to talk about this is because um. I, I feel like obviously we're struggling right now. With some no, technical his difficulties. Aren't on. We're good. We're good. Okay. We're good. We're good. We're good. We're going to jump right on into this. So we're talking about mental health because I feel like a lot of people these days particularly are paying attention and really flossing like, oh, look what I'm doing for my body. Look what I'm doing for my bank account. Look what I'm doing for, you know, this, that, and the other. But nobody's really talking about mental health or they might maybe just because every time it comes up in the news, people will mention it, but nobody's really addressing it or really like flossing what they're doing to work on their mental health. Um, I saw in the news, Big Sean was just talking about how he had to take some time off because this time last year on his birthday, he was depressed. I mean, he was making money. He was making moves. He was doing all of these things. He was in a relationship, had everything going for him where you would think, wow, he's got it made. But he was struggling. He was depressed. And, of course, nobody knew about it then, but he came out and he talked about it. And I think it's bringing up the conversation. So we wanted to talk about it Um We've got Alex here, obviously. We've got Misty and Greg and Mark, who is, I don't, I'm not 100% sure of his title, but I believe he's like a licensed mental health professional. Mm -hmm. So he'll be calling in soon to kind of talk about and, and put his two cents on the subject. So, um, yeah, without further ado, let's go on ahead and get started. Anybody have any? Well, well does anybody, anybody hear about the Big Sean stuff? I, I was actually going to comment on that because I noticed he went out. I'm a huge fan of his, mm -hmm. so I love his music. I love um, he the fact that he's different. He does a lot of different stuff. So one of the things that I noticed was, like, he was gone, but not only was he gone from, like, doing music, but he was gone from, like, social media. Mm -hmm. um, I know he's in a relationship, and they were posting up stuff all the time. So the fact that it just all disappeared makes a little more sense. I, I noticed... Today or yesterday, he put up a post again, but um, I didn't know what the rhyme or reason was behind him being gone. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah, he actually went on to talk about, like, how he was struggling with depression. and He didn't really understand, like, what was going on with him. And, yeah, so, you know, like I was saying, I just feel like if you are on social media, which most people are, you, you see so many people who are really excited to share all of these things that they're doing for themselves to be better and to live a good life, but not a lot of people are talking about what they're doing. I never see someone like, yeah, I went to my therapist today. We had a good session. Right. Like, nobody right. wants to talk right. about that. Nobody wants to. one of those the other day. Did you? <laughs> yes. Oh, I didn't see it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm a... <clears throat> um, you got to lean into the mic. Though. My name is Misty. Uh, Misty Hoffman, by the way, and I'm from Saginaw. I'm actually a um, Reiki... They call it a Reiki master, but I prefer Reiki instructor. Um, and I also teach people about meditation and the value of that because um, of my background. It was the whole reason that I pursued. I mean, at the time, I don't think I was really calling it my mental health. It was more of, you know, my emotional and spiritual well-being. But it's taken me into this whole um you know, new area of my life where I'm, I've become very open about talking about my mental health and what, what we were just, what you were just talking about, Big Sean, that's, I mean, I was just sitting here shaking my head, like, 
damn, that was me on my birthday this year. Like I checked out and people were like, where, where did you go? Are you okay? What's going on? And, um, long story short, I was born to an incarcerated mother and, uh, I didn't, and she didn't know who my dad was when I was born. Um, so I spent, I've spent my whole life searching for this person and I'm 39 years old and I just found him on Ancestry.com in August. Can you hear us? I don't think my What's that? Can you hear us? Uh, barely. Oh, barely. Hmm. Barely. Can you hear a little bit? <laughs> it sounds like your phone is breaking up. Headphones. Yeah, yours are going into your thing. We're going to have to figure that out. Can, <laughs> so you can just barely hear us? What's that? You can just barely hear us? Yeah, I, I, I can't hear you. Hello? Yeah, yeah, can you hear us? Barely? Hello? Hello? Yep. <laughs> I can't. Do you want to call? You want to take some to call back? Hello? Yeah. Yep. Tell him to call back and see if we right. can hear Hello? Him. Yep. I can hear you. Yeah. Can you hear me now? Yeah, him. I can hear you. But. Obviously, you can't hear me. You want to turn it up? Can you turn yours up or no? Hello. Hello. They don't know why you can't hear us. Can you hear us now? Better? Hear us? No? Hello? Hear us now? Hello? Can you hear us? Call right. ended. He's like, uh, yeah. yeah, bye. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Okay, so Mark, if you're watching the Facebook Live, try to call back and see if we can get it figured he, out. He just did. Oh. Can you hear us now? Yeah, I can hear him. Let's see what's going on. Yeah. Hello? Yep, I can hear you, but you can't hear us. Can you hear us now? Hello? Uh, yeah, it's kind of broken up, but I can hear you better. Right. Okay. Okay. I mean, I can hear you. I can hear you now. Okay. Greg, talk. Can you hear you? Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, go. Can you hear me? Yeah. Hello? Yeah, you can hear me. Okay. So we're good? A little bit. Um, Do my headphones work? Are my headphones on? Uh, is her headphones on? Hers are. Yes? Uh huh. Okay. So she can hear. But here. I can't. Use those. How are you going to hear? I don't know. We'll figure it out. Okay. <laughs> Mark. Yeah. How you doing? So do me a favor and introduce yourself a little bit. Okay. Um, but like, what do you want to know? <laughs> so what is your title exactly? You're a counselor or? Yeah. I mean, I mean, they, they call it, they call us mental health, uh, Professionals, counselors. Okay. Uh, it's, it's the same thing. Gotcha. Therapists. Okay. Gotcha. So basically what we're talking about on today's show is um, basically just the importance of taking care of your mental health. 
So we yeah. have a, a couple of different guests on the show who've taken different approaches. Misty was just talking about how she's a rake, Reiki, instructor. Reiki instructor. And we're going to get to Greg in a little bit, too. So basically, I just wanted to have you on the show to bring in your professional opinion as much or as little as you want to contribute. Professional opinion about what? Professional opinion about whatever it is that we get into talking about. If you have anything to add to the conversation, you're welcome to chime in. Just because I feel like it's going to be a little bit of a different perspective than what we're adding, obviously. Um, With Missy doing Reiki and us doing whatever the different things. But you obviously have a different educational background and professional background to add to the conversation. Okay. Okay, perfect. So... Real quick, I'm going to give these back to you because I can't do it. I can hear myself. It's driving me crazy. So we're going to get back into what Misty was talking about. Um, Yeah, I mean, long story short, uh, you know, I think the the easiest way to describe what I went through was, you know, kind of like if somebody walked up to you and was just like, hey, so... Everything you ever knew about your life is Okay, so, hey, you're you're breaking up them. You know, and it was like I, I kind of entered this weird other dimension where my old life did not exist anymore. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't that person, and I had a grieving process for, you know, acclimating to my new life and the new circumstances because it wasn't everything that I had hoped. So, um, that so was, were you raised with your biological mother then? Nope. She was actually um, in prison throughout most of my childhood. And, um, you know, that was another huge issue is because, um, you know, I had probably every textbook side effect from growing up with an incarcerated mother, an unknown father, and being raised by my grandparents. Um, I think I was a very happy kid, um, but I stole a lot. I lied. I had no impulse control. Um, those things obviously evolved into other things as I got older. Um, you know, I've, I mean, I've been in trouble, but minimal compared to, you know, big trouble. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, it just, it took me a lot of time to really even realize those habits were there and that I had lived such an unhealthy lifestyle. And I think it was around the time I was about 30 that I really started to invest in that part of myself. And it was because I had received a Reiki treatment and it was, um, I mean, it changed my life. I had a very introspective experience coming out of that and knew that um, that I was kind of on my way. I was, I felt like I was feeling around in the dark, but I knew there was something that I was, you know, I was moving in the right direction. So talk a little bit about what exactly, for those who don't know what Reiki is. I don't even know if I'm saying Reiki, it correctly. Yeah. Reiki, Reiki. Reiki. I'm it's, say Reiki. It's actually an ancient Japanese uh, relaxation technique, and they say that it promotes rest and relaxation and healing. And I believe that, um, you know, as a as a Reiki instructor, I hold space for you to relax. I don't really do much else except transfer my positive energy to you or allow I'm sorry take that back I allow you know um source rich energy to flow through me into you and Mm -hmm. I I pose as a conductor of that and I hold space for people to be able to actually lay down and close their eyes and relax and feel safe enough 
to let their body kind of wind down. And when you do that intentionally, that's meditation. Mm -hmm. You know, when you actually lay there and you count your breath, you know, you pay attention to your breath going in and out. Um, I guess a real quick tip for people who are listening, it's called the 16 count breath. You know, if you ever want to just like instantly relax, um, you know, you take a lung full of air to the count of four and you hold it for the count of four and then you exhale to the count of four and you hold it for a count of four. And you do that like two or three times and you're literally going to feel like you want to fall asleep (laughs) because you're going to be so relaxed. Mm -hmm. And these like things were what I started to realize were like real mechanical ways of being able to manipulate the body and the mind. So would these be considered like coping techniques? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think they're coping, you know, coping, uh, they're techniques for coping with the everyday stresses of life. I think they are, um, you know, kind of my reminders to take it easy. I think it's, I mean, and it's taken me in a whole other direction of, um, you know, shamanic work that, um, you know, just to put it simply, uh, holding a space for yourself to, you know, pay attention to your breath, that's meditation. Going into meditation with an intention provides you a lot of insight because you're sitting with yourself and you're asking yourself some really important questions. When you go into a guided meditation where someone is walking you through it with an intention and holding that space for you, that's a transformative experience. Mm-hmm. You know, because they are, you know, um, they're allowing you. Have you ever been, have you ever, have you, any of you guys ever done a guided meditation? I haven't, no. No? I have okay. not. I listen to them <clears throat> on YouTube. Does that count? And, well, yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. I done it. Absolutely. Um, I, I have a very close shaman friend of mine that I work, you know, I do a lot of work um, along these lines with. And it's always... Um, it's always a very different experience when someone else is walking you through it because you're able to relax and look around, so to speak, with your eyes closed and see these pictures and images and have, you know, a real experience with your eyes closed. Um, I've told people, and I, I hope I still firmly believe I've had, um, by far more powerful experiences in meditation work than I have with psychedelics. Mm-hmm. And I'm a firm, um, I'm a firm advocate of the use of psychedelics in microdose form to treat anxiety and depression. See, I've actually we had a similar conversation on Thirty Forty and Thriving last year with um, awesome. Yelena Crawford and Brenda Williams, and there was another um, there was another one, uh, Artie. I can't remember her last name, but they were talking about this kind of similar things like Reiki, Reiki and. I'm going to throw them. I know I can hear them and they're driving me nuts Um, about Reiki and, um, you know, finding basically enlightenment and using psychedelics to come to that enlightenment and how they can actually be beneficial for you. Um, Obviously in correct dosages and in a healthy setting. I was actually, I'm listening to an audio book on the way down here and it was, it was really addressing that because there's so many mis perceptions about psychedelics and the proper dosage because when you're like 15 years old and somebody hands you a bag of mushrooms you're like I don't know fuck it and you just eat a handful of mushrooms and you don't know that there's an actual dose for shamanic use for Mm -hmm. these and you know 
the average dose for an adult, by the way, is 1.5 grams to 2.5 grams. In if case anyone needs to know. If you're doing like four or five <laughs> Not grams. That we that'll be a problem. <laughs> if you're doing like four or five grams, you're going to have a way different experience. You know, like, and... And on that note, microdosing is actually considered one-tenth of an average dose. Um, so, like, uh, it would be 0.15 grams. And that's um, – does it uh, – in low doses, it is said to um, enhance, you know, creativity and focus. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can ask my, my kids and, um, you know, and my family, I have had – my anger is almost gone. It's that's what it's like known for, and mm-hmm. that's why I really started doing this research was because um, I, w- I was led to the you know just the these really um, crazy things that everybody was saying. Mm-hmm. You know that they do these for like a period of time, and they're just like. A different person. They're totally relaxed. They don't have the same compulsions. People stop drinking alcohol. They they cut back on weed. They cut back on cigarettes. You know, there there's something that kind of like just settles them out. You know, evens them out a little bit and just gets them in the right direction. And you're not quite so neurotic about everything. Yeah. I mean, and and I was um, I was very angry around. You know, my birthday was in November, Mm -hmm. and like I said, I met my dad in August. And, um, you know, I won't just out of respect for that situation. I'm not going to get into too many details, but it was not what I had anticipated. We'll just say that. Mm-hmm. Um, personality wise, we don't have a lot in common. And so it's been difficult um, acclimating to somebody that I'm polar opposites, uh, you know, and, and then I come from this person. So um, and I'm a very emotionally based person. So I think it's just it took a lot of getting used to and. uh healing you know right. there's a lot of grieving I've had to do through this whole process mm-hmm. and in November I was at a really low point um you know I don't have any problem saying that I had considered taking my life because of the fact that uh the best way for the best analogy is that I spent my entire life clawing toward a mirage in the desert and when I got there there was nothing there mm-hmm and so do you mean you just built it up to yeah be i mean yeah exactly you know i've i've said this a lot that my you know my the expectations that i had of what was going to happen when i met my dad you know there was mm. always this you know all these things are supposed to happen and when i meet him and those i have had to come to accept that the that set of expectations that I had was based on my own fears and insecurities right. throughout my life, and that this is just a man who lives in Chicago. Yeah, he doesn't really owe me anything. Right. I've, so that's something I that's a hard pill to swallow for somebody like me because I've had a hard life. I've had a very hard life. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, a lot of people don't realize a lot of the. Um, intricacies of some of the stuff and and the random nature of things that have happened to me so i felt like once i met this person all my problems were going to go away Mm -hmm. and they didn't and that's that's been a reality check so when you came to that realization what what was the process of you kind of working because it's it's only been a few months so do Mm -hmm. you feel like it's something that you're still working through absolutely Mm -hmm. absolutely he called me earlier and we hung up on each other Mm -hmm. and i spiraled for about five minutes and 
you know, reeled myself in and, you know, and the, and that's the practice, you know, and that's, I think it's a really great um, time to kind of say, you know, this work, when you're working on yourself, it's a practice. Mm-hmm. It's like yoga. It's like exercise. It's like meditation. They call those things a practice for a reason because every time you come to the mat, you're in a different mood, in a different mindset. You don't know. I mean, if you're an athlete, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You can be at the top of your game and come to the gym and feel like shit. You know, and you got to mentally psych yourself up to get back in there and do better the next time and to go past what you thought you're, you know, what you were capable of. Right. And this is that same thing. You're constantly exercising your emotions and your fortitude Mm -hmm. and your strength. It's a lot like life. Yeah. Absolutely. It is. This is life. (laughs) This is what we're talking about. There's a couple things there. I I do want to get to Greg, but there's a couple things there. I definitely would go back to... um, and it's the external pressure and expectation that people put on family members just because they're labeled family members. Mm-hmm. And I hope you, when we go back to it, I hope you don't take uh, offense to what I'm going to say. But um, I think it's I think it's hard when people put expectation on family members. And I think you're going to agree once mm-hmm. I get to the end of it. But a lot of times people put an expectation that because it's my family member they're supposed to care about me or they're supposed to support me or they're supposed to help me. And then people find out it's not like that, right? They, they have problems with siblings. They have problems with, uh, parents that, that don't want to take ownership and all this. And you take that personally. And a lot of times I think people should look at what's the best way to put it. Look at how they're making themselves happy first. Because now you've had to do that, mm-hmm. right? Because you, you've realized you can't necessarily depend on that person. And once I think you take the responsibility of, oh, I've got to make myself happy, even in this situation with this other person, so now you don't expect anything. So you're saying he, you, you know, you spiraled out of control for five minutes. Not out of control, but you spiral for five minutes, and now you're, you're back normal. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And and I will say this about the situation, because I think this will give you guys a little bit more insight. Um one thing I could not have predicted when I was looking for my dad my whole life because I was I was under the impression that I was springing this on somebody and that this person didn't know about me. So to meet him and have him admit that he knew my mom was pregnant and that he left to avoid responsibility, he expected me to just take that in stride and not think twice about it. Mm-hmm. But I've spent my entire life looking for this person that I thought was going to take one look at me and fall in love with me and want nothing more than to see me happy for the rest of my life and do whatever they possibly could for me. Mm -hmm. And that's just not the reality of it. And there's there's all sorts of circumstances that that that's the reason. And Mm -hmm. I'm and I'm trying my best. You know, this is this is my current battle right now is I'm trying my best to take you know to really just cut that tie of expectation I mean there's really a cord there that you can't see when you have this you know um idea of what someone is supposed to do right and I'm trying to cut that 
and just be like, you know what? You do you. I'm going to do me. Mm -hmm. Maybe we can get along at that point. But as long as I have this expectation that he's supposed to do X, Y, and Z, Mm -hmm. and that he's supposed to love me in these ways that I've needed my whole life. I think you said it right there, though, expectation. I think Mm -hmm. what it boils down to is is titles come with expectations. Mm -hmm. So I feel like my mother, I have expectations of her because she is my mother. I have expectations of my children because they are my children. I have expectations of my boss, of my partner, of this, of that, or whatever because of the title that they have in my life. Because of Um, what you expect. Because of what I expect. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they are capable of meeting those expectations. 100%. I think that's what I was trying to say. Yeah, yeah and, and I think it's important for, for everyone's mental health to understand that you, just because you expect something Assess of someone. Assess your expectations yeah. on a regular basis and ask yourself yes. if they are realistic. And not to say, <laughs> and here's the thing, like I feel that's like. a huge one. Um, you shouldn't necessarily say, well, I don't have any expectations then. However, I think it is appropriate for you to maybe have boundaries for yourself like if it doesn't necessarily have to be an expectation things but you could say well as my you know as my father I don't necessarily expect anything from you but I will say that these are my boundaries and mm-hmm. if you cross these boundaries I don't have to tolerate it because in order for me to maintain my mental health I need <laughs> to set these this line here and you can't cross this because I need to I need to stay healthy you're talking you're you mentioned a very, very important word because that's something that people, I don't think, take the time to create their own situation. And this was, that was a huge thing for me when I met my dad. I saw this shiny exterior, mm-hmm. not realizing there was a lot of dysfunction underneath. And so I went, wow, oh my gosh, everything's going to be great now. Well, then, as I get to know him and I realize that we don't have as much in common as I would like and that we don't, you know, there's just a lot of, you know, there was a lot of things that would need to be worked on. Um, It got to the point for me where I had the, it was almost like I panicked and I went, oh, my God, what if I don't like this guy? And it's got to be like all or nothing. And I need to figure out whether I love him 100% or whether I don't care about him at all and don't want him in my life. And it was like, but why? why? Why not coordinate and design the situation so that it fits me? Mm-hmm. And if we are arguing or if we're not talking or if there's some upset, then it doesn't mean we need to talk every day. And it doesn't mean that I need to say that we're best friends, but maybe keep a line of communication open. And if X, Y, and Z upset me, then try to do things that will make those things less likely to occur, you know? Absolutely. Allowing someone to spend the night in your home if they're going to be mean to you and say nasty things, you know? I mean... Create... I mean, well, and I think a lot of people don't take the time to learn themselves, understand themselves, and create boundaries for themselves in the different roles in their lives before they go and interact in these roles. So whether it is before having children and understanding what type of parent you want to be, how you're going to run your whole household, what you expect of them, and all these things, and then understanding that when they're born, they're going to be completely different people than what you anticipated, Mm -hmm. and they might not fall into your little dream family that you thought you were going to have, and then you have to adjust to that. But knowing they're your children, however, you have to create, obviously, boundaries so that your children know how to act and so that you can conduct a a good household, Um, but also so that you maintain your mental health before you get into a relationship, understanding these are my boundaries, or before you go and meet a long-lost relative. Before I go into this, these are my boundaries. I understand it could go any which way, but I know that I'm not going to tolerate this, that, and the other. 
So when those things happen, you're prepared for Sometimes it. Sometimes you don't know until they happen, though. But that's the thing. And <laughs> so, so it's what, the and constant reassessment. And so what do we exactly? So then we go and we we erase the boundary. We say, okay, well, we're gonna draw one right here. Oh, oh, they crossed that one. But we're gonna draw one right here because I really like this person. I really need this relationship. So I'm just gonna keep drawing these lines, and allowing somebody to cross them, and redraw them, and and mess with my mental space and, and disrupt my peace. Mm-hmm. You feel like you want to say, go ahead, Greg, yeah. jump in. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> this look at, is I'm, mental I'm health. Gonna, <laughs> I want to stop there for two seconds and make sure Greg gets introduced because um, without fail, obviously, everything we hear, everyone's going to be re- be able to relate to, have an opinion and stuff like that. So I want to stop, slow down for two seconds and get Greg in and why I invited him in because I've recently just met Greg. Um, I, I think he's great. Um, we went on a date here. Thank recently. you. I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> we went on a date here recently. It was a fabulous night. But um, thank you for dinner. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I did pay for dinner because I'm a gentleman. Uh, you didn't open my car door though. What's up? You didn't open my car door. I did not. I did not. We had valet, so it's. <laughs> um, anyways, but uh, one of the things Greg told me is that he had uh, addiction to gambling. Correct me if I say anything wrong, but he's going to get his time. But for me. I've never really struggled with addiction, which is also weird because I do have uh, an addictive personality where I, I get on something, I love it, I can do it over and over again. I've just, I've never Clearly done a drug. with the podcast. What's up with the podcast? <laughs> yeah, you've seen that. I've never done a drug in my life. I didn't drink till after I was 21. I've never, I didn't, I kind of hate gambling. Um, so a lot of the things that people call bad things to be addicted to, I've never really been in those. So when he said that, it kind of struck a chord with me because not only am I not addicted to gambling, I'm probably one of the cheapest person, people you know, to where losing money literally gives me stress. I'm stressed right now talking about (laughs) losing money. So the fact that someone could be addicted, essentially, when you're addicted to gambling, and I even said this to him, I was like, so you were just addicted to To losing losing money? money. (laughs) And he's like, like, yeah, and he went in to explain it to me, and I thought it was awesome. So that's why immediately when Amber was like, let's get some people on for this, he's one of the first people I thought of. So with that, I'll let you kind of go go into your little story and and explain. Yeah, so first off, uh, my name's Greg, and... uh, I met Alex probably about three months ago and we got to talking about addiction and my gambling addiction over the course of the last 15, 17 years. And it went from betting who's the fastest to football squares to uh, going to the casino playing Texas Hold'em. And it was never really about the gambling as it was escaping responsibilities. That was my issue. I was dealing with my own insecurities um, and I used gambling as an avenue or a path to be able to escape that. And so that's when I look at society and social media and all the things that we perceive to be reality are really just those mirages that you were talking about, right? And I was always chasing that my life wasn't as good as someone else's. Right. Um, that uh, I didn't have a nice enough car as the next person. You know, my podcast wasn't as good, right? <laughs> so, you know, I, I just look at all of those things and that's what led me down this deep spiral. And gambling is one of those things where... You know, with alcohol or drug addictions, you know, if I come home, you're going to know if I'm high. You're going to know if I'm drunk, right? Right. Whereas with gambling, you can hide it. Yeah. You know, for a long time if your finances are tight. Right. You know, so it's one of those things where I thought I was 
I was better than the house. Right. You know, I had a story for why this is this is why I can do it. I always was justifying why gambling was something that wasn't an addiction. Sure. Until I hit rock bottom. Mm-hmm. And then that's when everything kind of came to light and said, I have a problem. You know, when you're driving down 94, leaving Motor City Casino or MGM or Greektown, it's been multiple times, and you think to yourself, well, life will probably be better if I just hang this sharp left into this barrier, right? Yeah, that's crazy. Thinking, thinking that my family would be better off without me. Off gambling, which off is crazy, gambling. right? Because everyone can see that off of drugs, right? Because it... it and and I'm speaking from what you hear. Because right? it chemically messes with you. Chemically messes with you. So yeah. you're like, I'm high and now I'm down and that's why I want to kill myself, right? Or with drinking, I'm on top of the world, so I'm going to drive fast and you end up doing something stupid with that. But with gambling, like I said, when, I, when you first told me about it, I'm like, wait, what? Like addicted. Like it's just don't. Just don't. Yeah. Just don't because it's not like uh, – in, in my head, if I think alcohol, you think uh, physical addiction, right? So I don't feel good unless I'm unless I'm drinking. I think that is a physical addiction. That's I what mean, I'm saying. That's what it alcohol is. is. It does become a physical addiction yeah. because I used to steal. Right. I used to boost all over the place. It's the and adrenaline. You, the rush, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, rush. Well, That's what I was thinking. And, and I, I don't mean to interrupt your story, but I want to, because you brought up something really interesting, which is, I mean, there, there's always two sides to why we do what we do when it comes mm-hmm. to any addiction. There's the high and there's the low. And whether we want to admit it or not, we thrive off the low just as much as we do the high. Because that low is familiar. And we can go, we know what it's like to come home and regret spending all that money and then go, I'm never going to do this again. I'm going to get my shit together. This is the last time. I got a plan this time. And then slowly we talk ourselves into letting go of that and being back at the casino and because during that time, now you're on a high and going, I got this figured out. I got it licked. It's going to happen for me this time. But that whole circle of, you know, the up and the down, it's it's no different than an abusive relationship. It's why people stay in these cycles is because it's familiar. Mm-hmm. And it's comfortable. And everyone's, and this is a perfect example that, you know, and I know you say that you're not, you don't have any addictions, but if I pick your brain, I'll figure out what your neurosis is. But yeah, And we all and, have a different one. And, that and was I'm my saying, point. No, that I'm not was saying my there's p- not an addiction. I'm saying I don't have the addictions that someone sees and says, That makes you your life unmanageable. Yeah, right, right, right. That's, the, that's the definition right. of an well, addiction. Well, just like workaholics or whatever. Is I mean, when, that's the same thing. It's when you're addicted to work, you're addicted to, for whatever reason, you feel like, I have to do this. I have to do this one last email. I have to write this one last way. Like, there's, people can be addicted to work. And it can be just as destructive, but no one's yeah. going to look at the it definition. as badly because it's not because it's productive. I don't care. Absolutely, it'll still take time away from the kids. But that's what I'm saying. But if that if, love that they need starting out, if you have yeah. a crack addict or a workaholic, people are going to look down at the crack yeah, addict. Right, they're not exactly. going to look down at the workaholic, although I, they're still struggling with mental health issues. They're still struggling with addiction, um, and they still both need to address those issues. And that's what we're talking about here: is the stigma. Why is it okay for me to be a workaholic, but for you know Joe Schmo to be a crack addict, then he gets looked down on? Um, we both have internal issues that we're struggling with. And back to what you were saying about the comfortability and the familiarity of that, that low. I think mm-hmm. a lot, that's why people who grew up with parents who weren't in the home or with addicted mm-hmm. parents, people who have struggled with adverse childhood events, grow up with this familiar 
feeling of pain and self-sabotaging to always create situations in which they have that familiar feeling, Mm -hmm. which is why they end up in destructive relationships and they stay and they keep redrawing those boundary lines because they want, they need to continue that familiarity and they also want to fulfill those needs of having somebody there, of somebody loving them, of somebody, whatever it may be. Um, And that's why it's important to have these conversations to, one, reduce the stigma, and to, two, um, to get people thinking about, well, damn, what am I addicted to? Exactly, and that's that's what I was just going to say. It's, you know, I think in order to, if you were to ask me what 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 do we need to do to reduce that stigma, stop categorizing things. You know, I mean, and ad- the the definition of an addiction is something that makes your life unmanageable. I don't care if you fucking weave baskets. If you are <laughs> right. so honed in on that shit and you can't let it go and right. you can't take care of your family and you're not taking a shower and you're not brushing your teeth and, you know, like you got a problem and you need to put the baskets down for a while. You know right. what I mean? Sure. That's yeah. just, and, and I don't mean to be funny, but... A lot of people, that's how a lot a lot of this mental health, um, the subject gets so swept under the rug is because we're only talking about five or six subjects. Yeah. We're talking about sex, gambling, heroin, uh-huh. you know, yeah. like we're only talking about like maybe 10 or 12 things. In and the it real... allows the rest of the world who have the same problems to look at them like, right. oh my God, and you to have a just sex go addiction, under, wrong You know, you? to be really lost, mm-hmm. swept, you know, swept under the rug put through the cracks, however, well, you know, whatever analogy yeah. you want to put it, they don't get recognized and they don't think they have a problem because everyone's only talking about this stuff. Mm-hmm. You only have a problem if you're shooting up or if you smoke crack or mm-hmm. if you gamble or if you are, you know, doing something that's visible well, yeah. to I, people. It has to be visible mm-hmm. in order for, you know, yeah, anybody to really... You know, I definitely agree that, you know, the categorization of things does hinder things i also i also think a big part of it is a lot of people get shamed Mm -hmm. for any negativity or things that they have going on in their life i mean if you pull up social media right and they see all these people their friends having all these great times and things like that and they almost feel like they can't tell someone Mm -hmm. right like you know my friends out in paris doing this and I, i mean i can't tell them that I'm struggling mentally, you know, and I think a lot of it has to do with our own perception of our friends and ourselves. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, if we take the time to really understand ourselves and then that'll ready us to be able to have that conversation with somebody else. Mm-hmm. You know, it go back to the saying, you can't love someone until you know how you love, like to love yourself. Mm-hmm. You have to love yourself before you can receive love or give love. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark Rodin here. The addiction to work is only really destructive when it comes to an individual's family. It can strain relationships with those closest to them. I believe the most addictive behaviors are an effort to avoid something. It's usually avoidant behavior. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's another thing that, that it's it's not always looked at. It's like, what's the reason for each type of addiction, right? Well, we're always doing something to avoid something else. A, yeah, <laughs> right. Absolutely. But I think some things... Or, or the reason for the addiction is always different. And I think people assume that just because you two have the same addiction, that you two have the same problem, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, he might be doing it to avoid it where someone else has a physical addiction. Someone else does it just because they like it. Someone else does it because uh, it's chemically in them from mm-hmm. from 
you know, things their parents did or, or their upbringing or things the like that. The addiction is the result yeah. of, of the process and mean, the things point. that are going on, mm-hmm. Yeah, right? It's like if you score a touchdown, that's a result of the execution of the play and everything that's going that's on, right? That's a great right? point. So mm-hmm. when you really look at mental health, it's whatever happened is a result of all the other layers and layers and layers of things that are going on, both physically and mentally, you know, within them. So I completely agree. And I just want to say this real quick, so I don't want to interrupt you, but um, I, he literally took the words out of my mouth because I firmly believe that like 98%, 99, I'll go far like that far to say that 99% of depression and anxiety is circumstantial. It is not, it's rarely ever anything that is like really going on at the top, you know, like none of us are in an active threat right now, but we have depression and anxiety based on our circumstances at home or in our personal life Mm -hmm. that would not necessarily be there. Just like I, you know, uh, give you a little short piece of the conflict I had with my dad today. I said, I was a, cause he, he accused me of being angry. Yeah. And I said, what? And that, like, was appalling to me. And I was like, I am the least angry person. I, you know, <laughs> I was like, I wasn't even fucking angry before I met you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I just became angry in August. Like, what are you right. talking about? Right. You know, but that was like my, that's a perfect example that it's circumstantial. I've had all these new revelations and all this whole grieving process because of an event there was before that event and there was after that event. I do think that there is a difference. I think that, I mean, clinical depression is you being depressed despite the fact that everything seems to be going well for you. And maybe you have some deep-seated how often childhood is issues. Life well, a lot. I mean, cause, Completely spotless and perfect. Well, I mean, I think that uh, that's oftentimes why there's a stigma. Like, how are you depressed? Like, you have everything to live for. You have a great job. Mm-hmm. You have kids. You have this. What are you depressed for? Like, people get frustrated with depressed people. But I think that clinical depression is when you are depressed and mark correct me if i'm wrong but i think it's when you're depressed despite there not being any circumstantial things going on so when i started um a job what last year whenever it was they had me take this questionnaire for my well-being and health and wellness and it was like have you experienced any of the following life events and it was like divorce death of a family uh child moving out uh changing jobs like da 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 what all these life events and i was like yep sure have that one too yep yep and it was like you are at extremely high risk for a mental breakdown yeah. i was like no fucking shit <laughs> like, you're telling me and um and i was like seeing a therapist for a while like yeah you know like i just want to make sure i'm good and everything and then i stopped going to the therapist because i was like kind of coming to the realization of how much shit I actually had and I was just like I don't I can't talk about this anymore mm-hmm. because I felt like it was bringing things to the surface Absolutely. and lo and behold over the summer and I haven't really told anybody this so but I think it's important to talk about I had a full-fledged legit mental breakdown and no one knew and no one was around I was by myself and like it had been building up and then I was literally like, this is what it's like to go crazy. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And had anyone been there or around, I, I 100% would have been hospitalized. But because they weren't, I eventually went and slept for three whole days. And, like, but it was, like, everything just came all at once. And I, I lost my shit. And all in, like, a matter of a short period of time, I completely lost my shit. And I was, like... If I die or if anything happens, like no one's, I don't, no one's gonna find me. Like I'm not talking to anyone. Like it was just crazy. But 
it happened and then I kind of had to pull myself out of it. It was like, all right, now what? And then over like, it was probably a good period of like three weeks where I was like, just by myself at home. I wasn't answering the phone. I was I was I wasn't doing Reflecting. I mean <laughs> I didn't do anything. I'm talking about I was just there for like three weeks. And thank goodness my kids weren't around. But um I, yeah, it was like the day that it actually like full on happened. I was I was literally like pacing back and forth in my house and I was like I mean, it was almost like being under the influence of something. My mind was going fifty million miles an hour. I couldn't control it. I was like, Oh my god, I'm going crazy. This was like do crazy, like shit, like what am I gonna do? Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. I was walking just pacing. I'm like, if somebody would have seen me, they would have been like, She's fucking nuts. Yeah. <laughs> she needs to be admitted. Yeah. And but it was like when you go through, that's why I was extremely high risk. Like, I had went through thing after thing after thing after thing after thing after thing, and I just didn't have time to process one individual thing. And I don't have addiction. Like, I don't smoke weed. Like, I just started drinking in the past couple of years, and even that, like, I don't drink like that. Like, I might drink socially, but I don't have anything to turn to, mm-hmm. and I don't have support. So it was just, like, shit. shit i'm like this is just me like i'm just like i don't i can't drink it away i can't smoke it away i can't talk it away like i have i just have to literally process everything and whatever and so that's what i did and since then it's like okay i've had to make it a conscious effort like you said practicing my making sure that i'm not allowing my circumstances to bring me back to that place ever and to understand that as things happen, I have to process them. I have to deal with them. I can't distract myself because they will come. They will all come to you at once if you well, don't I handle think there's, them. I think there's an important message in there when it comes to um, what you just said. And, and it's not feeling bad when those times do happen. Because when I look at those times, I mean, and, and I think maybe we can all agree, because um, this is something that I feel really deeply inside of me. When I look back over my adulthood, because I'm 39 right now, so if I just talk about from the time I was, let's say for the last 20 years, since I was 19, every time I have had one of those times, and I say times because it's not just one day, it's, you know, it's like that build up to a breaking mm-hmm. point and then that three weeks of figuring out what the fuck you're gonna do it's like coming you know? back like and yeah. that's and and that's exactly what i was gonna say those are definitive points in my life where i was a different person those that was the kind of the formation or the creation of a new version of myself because i can absolutely say that's what has happened since november um if you want my real perspective when you say oh that was just in november it was kind of you know uh recently absolutely um i'm in the process of rebuilding a completely new life for sure and that's what it is you know because there are those moments when everything falls apart and you're forced to pick up all the pieces and rebuild yourself in a new image so when for you you know when you lost everything and hit rock bottom and lost all your money and you know didn't have anything and you know you had to piece together your life again in a way that resembled what you wanted it to look like now you know and then there's a new person there yeah i mean i think that as we go through life we're not really rebuilding ourselves we're going down a path of where God is uh, is allowing us to go and choosing us to go, right? Um, there's, he knows what's going on. He knows where we're going. These moments are teaching us lessons 
along the way. I wouldn't say that our it's, it's recreating us per se as it is giving us an opportunity to learn and become a better person. Because when I look back at all the times, whether it's an argument, whether it's a disagreement, whether it's gambling, you know, financial issues, those are all learning opportunities. Mm-hmm. And if I continue to look at them as that versus a a negative point of my life, absolutely, I'm putting a positive spin on something to make me a better person. But if I continue to look at it from a negative scope, then it's going to be something that's always that anchor that weighs me down over time. Mm-hmm. And I and I. And I've consciously made that effort, especially over the last three years. I've been sober since three, three, nine, sixteen. That's what's up. And you know, over the last three years, I've continuously had to have that type of perspective, mm-hmm. because if not, I'm going to look back at December 2015 when I didn't have a, a penny in my bank account to buy a Christmas gift. You know, I'm going to look back at you know 2009 where I blew my scholarship check and my mom had to bail me out. I'm going to look back at those and be like man, I'm a real effed up person, Mm -hmm. you know, whereas I can look at those and be like, you know what? I had people around me that wanted me to be better. I owe them this. Mm -hmm. And this is what I'm going to continue to do. I have kids that I want to grow up that I can instill values and yeah, they're going to make mistakes, but at the same time, it's, that's their job. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. what they're going to do. They're going to make mistakes, but it's me to prepare them for that. Mm-hmm. And let them know that it's going to be all right. This is a learning opportunity for sure. And, and well, I wanted to say something. Well, I know, you, but I'm going to bring you into this so you can still talk because you look sad. <laughs> I'm glad everyone else is talking. Okay, no, I wanted to bring this back because when I, you had originally brought the idea of the Ultimate Bachelor to me, and you had explained what you were doing, one of the things mm-hmm. that you mentioned was wanting to talk about mental health because you feel like you know, men don't really talk about mental health. And, you know, raising two boys and dealing with their fathers, particularly my ex-husband, you know, we had a conversation today about that, where it's like men raise their boys to be like these strong, don't cry, don't do this, don't do that, whatever. Like, And I feel like it's it's to their disadvantage because then they grow mm. up. Like, it's not okay to feel. It's not okay to talk about your emotions. It's not okay. And I think that's bullshit, and we need to change that up. Not to say that we should be out here babying these kids, but you know, but it's okay to express how you feel. As a man, as a child, as a boy. I think it goes several ways, right? <laughs> they got too many here. Go ahead, so, go like, ahead let's, Alex. Let's I'm going to let you take really this along. No, I, I agree. Um, and that's a comment from, okay. from Mark, so we want to make sure we're tracking those. I said we could call, he call back in. I don't know what's going on. Because he can't hear us. Okay, so I'll read that. So, um, I think there's two sides of that. I agree with you because I think, uh, obviously if I say men don't feel free to share their emotions and how they really feel, then obviously I have to agree with what you're saying, that... We should be teaching But right, then you would children. be a hypocrite, and I'd have to call you on your shit. Right, that too. So <laughs> we should be teaching um, children to um, express themselves and that it's okay and all those things. The, the hesitation I get there is that I think everyone is too sensitive now. And so there's a fine line that goes there because in saying, like I... I want to teach my boys to share their emotions, but not be sensitive. But do you think that we're so sensitive because we haven't been sensitive enough? Does that make sense? Like, maybe we're all sensitive. Like the correction curve almost? 
Like, like we've been here and now right. it's got to go. Yeah, yeah because we've been so I, like. I I don't think so. I think it goes straight back to what I was telling Misty, right? Yes. I want to say what to what I was telling Misty about the expectations you put on family members. I think everyone has this expectation that everything's supposed to be fair and everything's supposed to <laughs> supposed to Everybody flow. gets a ribbon. Everyone gets a ribbon. Everyone <laughs> your family members are going to always do right by you. I've I've set this expectation in my mind that look like I've got to fight for everything, including my own happiness, right? That means I've got to fight the things that happen to me to get my own happiness. Like Greg just said, I, I love how he said it. Um, I, it's hard for me to even admit I've had hardships because I look back at them as learning experiences. Someone's like, man, that's messed up that happened to you. And I'm like, I, I guess. I mean, I guess it is. <laughs> like, I, I, I wouldn't have known how to do it different at the time. So I can't say, oh, I should have something, should have done something different. I'm like, I did what I did. I'd probably do it again in the same circumstance. So when I say that, I say everyone's sensitive in that they think uh, things are supposed to be fixed for them or that they shouldn't have made that mistake before or someone shouldn't have done wrong by them or, or all these things. I think an important part of becoming less sensitive is sharing your emotions however that is that's that's realizing them within yourself and then i don't want to make sure i say this right sharing your emotions knowing your emotions being self-aware and then and then moving on past that not sure. that uh greg's gonna always be nice to me in the day he's mean to me right i'm, I'm like I don't, yeah let me, what's wrong with greg let me, give you a, let me give a real scenario this literally just happened before i drove here yeah mm-hmm. so my four-year-old son striker um, wanted to color at the table, had markers out, things like that. I'm sitting there talking to my wife. And I look over, and he's taking his green marker, and he's putting it on the chair, right? Yeah. I go over, what are you doing? We don't color on furniture. Automatically starts bawling. So I, I said to him, I said, what, what are you crying for? I said, do we color on furniture? Or what, what do we use the markers for? And... He points at the paper. I said, well, use your words. Tell me what you're supposed to do with these markers. Color on paper. Okay, what about crayons on paper? I said, okay. I said, you're not in trouble, but I want you to be able to use your words Mm -hmm. to understand why you're crying. Because if there's not a reason, then those that's that sensitive part of what you're talking about where I feel like... Society is so sensitive right. that they would have coddled my son in that moment versus teach him in that moment. Absolutely. Yeah. So there is times I do believe I'm 100 on board with you where as men, we feel like we have to be these providers, these protectors, these strong men that, you know, if someone intrudes the house, we're going down to protect. Right. right. So that has to be an innate thing inside of us. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we have to be able to use our words more and over communicate. And that's where we struggle as point. men is that over communication. Absolutely. So to, to when, do that, we struggle to do it. Yeah, yes, y'all don't we communicate. Struggle to do we don't it. do it. Yeah. So for women, you know, they have they'll use a whole list of ways that we I love you. Communicate. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. As men, we'll say, "I love you." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And then the woman will look back and be like, "Oh." He ain't romantic. Right. You, know, you know what I mean? Right. Whereas, like, that's all we know. Right. right. So I, that difference in how we approach those situations 
is a prime example of of the male version versus the female version of things. Right. So I think that's a it's a tough line to to or toe. I should say, as we want to teach our youth to be able to communicate and 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 use their feelings in a positive way, mm-hmm. um, so they aren't struggling with mental health and things like that. But at the same time, I don't want them crying for no reason. Right. I think there's more people struggling today. Well, it seems maybe it's because we are more aware of it because of social media. Mark, trying to call Hello? again. Can you hear us? Hello. Can you hear us now or not? Mark, are you there? Yeah. You got to use your bass in your voice, Alex. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why he can't hear me. He can hear you, though, so that's good. And we can hear you well, Mark. So You say, you, say you, can, hear me? you can hear me? Yeah, tell him. Yeah, I can hear you very well. <laughs> yeah, I, I still, it still like, sounds like you're breaking up just a little bit. Okay. Well, you can go ahead and I talk, can... and then we'll just listen. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. Uh I mean, so I, I don't know exactly what topic we're on. I think I heard y- y'all talking about like communicating love, like how how men don't communicate is. Well, yeah, we were just kind of talking about the importance of communication and expressing yourselves in order to kind of I don't know. In my opinion, I think that if we learn how to express ourselves and communicate, there wouldn't be so many mental health issues. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think, you know, like, like, I mean, just going back to what uh, I believe his name is Greg was talking about with the, you know, expression of love. I kind of feel like, you know, um, love languages are, are very important when it comes to that. Um, and, and I think that, you know, um, a lot of people don't have that, that knowledge about, you know, the, the five love languages and, um, you know, how, how they, they don't have the, the uh, knowledge about how right on that is as far as, you know, communicating uh, th- that you love people, um, you know, the different. I mean, yeah, and it doesn't just have to be your spouse, right? It can be your kids, too. Like, you can learn early on what your children's love languages are so that it just, like, yeah. y- your children will all learn differently. Your children will all respond to different types of discipline. Maybe, you know what I'm saying, one kid needs to sit in a corner and one kid needs their ass whooped if, I don't know. But, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, sure. whatever. They all go need different things. We'll have to edit that yeah. out of this. <laughs> Keep it on air. I don't give a shit. Have protective services knocking on the door. Knock, knock. Well, see, the thing is we all have sons. Yeah. Between, I, Missy, I don't know. Yes, I do. You too. do. Oh, so I all do four of us have sons. So so someone needs to get hit. <laughs> I, 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 don't, Al- I don't condone Mark, you got little women. girls, right? You don't have any boys. Oh, he's not. Mark, do you have any boys or just yeah, girls? Yeah. yeah, I can hear you, but it's still kind of breaking up a little bit. So do you have boys or you have girls? I think he just has daughters. I got two. I got two girls. Yeah. So he don't know that struggle. So you need those love languages. <laughs> yeah, I got two girls. Um, Mark, he can never hear me. You tell him <laughs> that. Uh, ask him about the the men and sensitivity growing up yeah so mark just wanted to get your perspective on uh men raising boys and men and their insensitivity um to love and you know different things that happen to them and how they handle that can you hear us no so i i didn't hear all your questions like I said, a lot of okay. it is just wanted out. to get your perspective on men being insensitive and the struggle with that um, in our society. 
Yeah. Uh, so, so men being sensitive. Yes. Insensitive. Insensitive. I mean, I think I think a lot of that has you know to do with society. I mean, I mean, just think about you know I, I don't know how old you know all the guys on on the call are, but like just growing up for, with me specifically, I remember hearing phrases like you know, uh, big boys don't cry, you know, never let them see you sweat, you know, man up, all those different things. You know, and, and like playing sports, you know, uh, we, we were definitely, that, that was definitely preached to us, you know, that they didn't, they didn't want to see any, any sign of, you know, uh, being emotional, you know, that they, they wanted us to be extra tough. Um, so I, I think just society, you know, ha- has really, has really, you know, spread that, that message to men that they have to be, they have to be uh, tough. They, that they shouldn't share their emotions. Uh, that's a sign of sign of weakness. But you know, when, when we're when we're like aggressive, when we're angry, you know that that's kind of like uh, that's what that you know. Oh, you're a man now. You know that that that's that's the accepted thing. Um, so, what do you see as so, the so, pros and cons with that? What do I see the pros and cons as far as what society has done? I, yeah. I feel like you know, yeah. So some some of the cons is like you know, you have you have to be able to deal with your emotions, like. You know, society is teaching you not to deal with your emotions. So, like, so men are holding those emotions in, and then a lot of times they're they're letting it out, you know, in, in an extreme manner. You know, I, I mean, and, and most of the times it's, it's they're letting it out on people who have nothing to do with the situation, like like why they got angry in the first place or why, you know, they had those emotions in the first place. As far as like, uh, as far as like, uh, con- or pros for that, I mean, I, 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 there's certain situations like you know where, where you have to. You know, we we have to be like more tough as far as that goes. Um, I, I mean, I mean that's my take on. So, how do you walk that fine line? How do you walk that fine line? Yeah, with raising a a man that is assertive, but at the same time in touch with his feelings. I mean, so so you know, as a man, you know, I, I think that I'm I'm a lot more in touch with my feelings. You know, uh, even though I got that 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 raising by society that you have to you know uh not be an be emotional i feel like i'm i'm a man that kind of communicates more and let unless i mean and i let people know what my what my emotions are you know what what i expect from them those kind of things um i i mean i've done it i i don't I, I mean i think it's different for every man um you know I, I think a lot of it is like you know like like trying to do your own your own independent learning, you know. Um, a lot a lot of it I've, I've learned by like you know trying to do research, you know, like reading reading books and uh, different things like that, you know, li- like listening to like Dr. Gary Chapman and, and different authors that I that I listen to. A lot of the things that I've learned I've learned from that kind of stuff, you know, like self help stuff. Um, that's definitely didn't see it by like you know f- from like example like from like my father or, or some of the other men in my life, but. But there were some men that I did pick up those things from. So I think a lot of it is like, you know, uh, experiential, you know, uh, experiential learning. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I think to some extent we are all responsible for our own mental health and our own um, self-help and learning and things like that. I mean, I'm raising two boys. (laughs) Depending on who you ask and when you ask them, I could either be doing a horrible job or I'm a perfect mom. I don't know. But I am trying to find that balance in where – I really encourage my children to communicate, like, say how you feel, say what's going on in your mind, probably to a fault, because sometimes they tell me how they feel, and it's like, I don't care. <laughs> like, not that I don't care, but, like, 
is irrelevant at this point. But anyways, trying to like make sure that they express how they feel, but at the same time, make sure that they know um, that they still have responsibilities. Like just because you feel a certain way doesn't mean that you can neglect your responsibilities, if that makes any sense. Because I think that a lot of kids nowadays will be like, well, I don't, you know, this person hurt my feelings, so I don't want to, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go here. I don't want to go to school because no, 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 it doesn't work like that. You don't get to neglect responsibilities because you feel a certain way. You communicate how you feel. It's the same thing as an adult. You communicate how you feel to that person. If this person has to be in your life, then you have to communicate to them. What you did affected me in this way. I don't appreciate it. It can't happen again. We still got to move forward, though. So trying to teach my children the same thing. Like, just because your brother did something, that don't mean you cannot have him as your brother anymore. Dude, like, you guys are going to be brothers. You communicate to him what happened, why you feel the way that you feel. You create your boundary and your expectation of him or whatever. And then if he crosses that, then whatever consequences happen, happen. But you have to learn how to deal with people who don't always make you feel great. But it's it's hard. It's so hard. I th- I think that's some of where I was going to when I'm really <laughs> careful about answering that question you asked because I think I'm really sensitive. I'm sensitive to people using their feelings as an excuse because some people have actual things that prohibit them from moving forward and other people want to use them as an excuse as to exactly what you said, not handle responsibilities. Um, So when I'm raising my boys and once again, I don't have my boys all the time, but what I'll always is, is be a man, you know, face up to what, you have to deal with because no one else is going to do it for you. For sure. And I think no matter how much equality we want, and I say this all the time in all of our podcasts, men and women aren't the same. Men have to deal with different things than women have to deal with. And, and you know, if I had all daughters, I would, I would be raising them different than I'd be trying to raise guys because there's responsibilities that you said that need to get taken care of that – if you don't teach them to do that or you're you're teaching them to be different than they need to be to handle those responsibilities you're you're not doing them any justice either mm-hmm. so <clears throat> yeah i think into that point to men and i'm just you know women power here because i'm a single mom and <laughs> i didn't really have a dad and i know misty obviously didn't have a dad and I think as for men listening it's really important for you to play an active role in your child's life like um, it's more than just especially for dads who only get their kids on a weekends or here and there or whatever. And, and you want to be that fun guy because you only see them so often. Like, no, like it's your job to lead your sons. It's, I mean, your daughters too, but I feel like men need to be raised by men. As hard as I try, I cannot raise my my boys to be men. I have no idea what it's like to be a man. I haven't had any good male role models in my life to even tr- attempt to pull from. So you're telling me you've never peed standing up? <laughs> I mean, I might have. <laughs> you tried. You tried a couple times. I'm sure I have. I, I've had this. I went around and around about that, and it's to exactly to your point. Is um, women, or I should say, young ladies, do need a male f- figure in their life raising them, but it's, it's so important to have a male raising a male as well, mm-hmm. because there's certain things that a male is going to teach a little boy that. A woman might have experienced from their dad, but it's not delivered the same, mm-hmm. right? That's why you guys had me come here and talk about mental health, right? 
because I've experienced it. Mm -hmm. And it comes across a lot different than someone just talking about it that hasn't done it. Mm -hmm. Right? Would you go to a marriage counselor if they've never been married? Nah, I was suspicious. <laughs> like you know, so all that, all of that you know plays a big role into things. For sure, yeah, I, I, it's it's so important. Um, gosh, and I, and I think maybe because there are so many men today that were raised by single mothers, that adds to maybe some of the <clears throat> mental health crisis that we have. I, I think there are a lot of contributing factors. I think it's circumstantial, environmental, genetic. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are a lot of different things, but I think opening the lines of communication, um, being honest. You know, at playing active roles in the people, the children in your life. Another thing, too, which was a whole other conversation about raising children in having back in the day, they used to have villages raise children. And now it's one oftentimes it's one parent raising children, multiple right. children. Most people don't even know their neighbors anymore. Oh, for sure. We used to have fucking villages like literally your neighbor, your auntie, your grandma, your this. The grandma used to live in a household like every and, and now it's one person. There's mm -hmm. a reason why it used to take a village because it literally takes a village. So children are being reared by one pe parent these days than when they used to be reared by like who has a million other people. responsibilities who has a million other responsibilities <laughs> and then we wonder bills, why our listen. mental health is getting, absolutely because you know, we can't it's and it's a real struggle i struggle with my kids all the time and i tell and i'm so open with them i'm like dude listen like i can i'm only capable of so much like my brain my money like i only have so much resources as a human being mm -hmm. and like i don't always have it to give you so they get mad at me sometimes because i'm not is maybe as sensitive as they want me to be, but I'm like, I don't have it for you. I'm sorry. I just, I don't have mm -hmm. it. I, it's, you hit me up three hours ago and I might have had it, but somebody used it and now it's gone and <laughs> I just ain't got it. Tapped out. <laughs> You're trying to pour from an empty cup. Yeah, exactly. exactly. That's what I'm saying. I mean, it's like, so that's what a lot of people are getting is a lot of empty ass air because nobody has anything to give them. We go through the motions, we function on autopilot. We raise our children. We deal with our relationships on autopilot because we're all pouring from empty cups. And when you're getting a whole lot of nothing, it's See, not contributing along, to your growth or well-being. Yeah, somewhere along the way we were, I don't know when things changed, but it went from the village mentality to, well, you should be able to do all this on your own. And if you ask for help, then you're weak. And I think that's that's also a huge theme that transfers from like just everyday, the everyday reality of things to our mental health because we go, oh, well, I can't even knock on my neighbor's door to ask for sugar. Who's going to care that I'm suicidal today? You know? Yeah. And That's so, real. That's real. <laughs> or like seriously having like my, what I went through this summer and I was just like, I could legit die and no one, I don't even know when, when anyone would even realize I was gone. Right. Like that's how I felt. And I was just like, my I don't know my neighbors. Like I haven't talked to anybody in days. Like. Who the fuck's going to know? How are they going to find me? Like, I thought about it. Like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> like my kids, so it would scary. be my kid's parent or my my kid's parent, my kid's dad that would be, like, dropping them off or something, like, three days later. I mean, obviously, you know, I have other friends and, um, you know, people in my life, but I'm not, uh, I don't know. I mean, I consider myself even the, I mean, and that's the thing. I think I consider myself very lonely and like a loner because I spend the majority of the day by myself. Mm -hmm. I hardly ever turn on the TV. I don't have cable. I mean, I, if I watch something, it's very intentional. So when you get used to that, I mean, just you staying in for three you. weeks and no, everything, you know, kind of okay. piling up. I mean, Imagine living like that and living inside of your own head for so long that you kind of don't really start to know reality from, mm. 
you know, and mm-hmm. that's why people get themselves in these really alternate, you know, frames of mind where they don't know who they can call. Yeah. I mean, how many times do our friends say, well, and they hear, you know, they hear that you were doing bad later and they go, well, why didn't you call me? Right. Because I wasn't fucking thinking straight at the time. You know? Right. Like, like, what do you mean? Like, it's not with? rocket science. Yeah. 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 that yeah. oftentimes I, and that's, I thought about it too, like, I didn't want to be that negative energy to anyone. Like, right. and I think that's another important thing is like, I have had friends who the only time they would call me is when they were going through a crisis. And no matter what happy, peaceful state of mind I was in, they would pull me into that negative energy. Mm-hmm. And I think it's appropriate now um, to like, before you call somebody and lay all your shit on them to be like, Hey, are you in a good mental space? Like I have a lot going on and I want to talk about it, but I don't want to bring you down. Like, is this okay that is this I okay dump that this, I dump this shit on you? I, yeah. You know. Because some mm-hmm. people, like I didn't realize the toll it was taking on me to have that sucked out every time I was, everybody's just dumping ground where they were just dumping their shit on me and I just let it happen. And you whether you realize it or not, you take that shit in. Um, so then I'm conscious of that. So when I had all of that going on, I'm like, I don't want to call anybody and dump this shit on them. Like, I'm like, if it's too heavy for me to bear, and I'm the strongest motherfucker that most people know, how the fuck are they going to bear the shit? Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, right. And there's that whole thing, like, what is this person going to do about it? What could what could me calling you in the middle of my breakdown, what is that going to do? Are you going to fix my life? Are you going to fix my dad? Are you going to fix me? You know, Mm -hmm. like, fuck it. It's not worth it to call anybody. I might as well sit here and cry this shit out, you know? And sometimes that is the answer. And and it really is because sometimes you do need some time to pull away from everything and have your time. It's when that becomes harmful to yourself or someone else that you need to take a look and, you know, maybe ask for. But sometimes you just need to be shaken and woke the fuck up, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because sometimes yeah. that mental stuff is like, what? what is what that is about? This? Let's talk through this for a minute. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right? And I you think sometimes as friends, we do a lot of listening and comforting, but we don't have those real conversations with them to say, okay, what's going on? What can we control? Mm-hmm. What can't we can control? Mm-hmm. Is it going to matter in five years? So don't waste more than five minutes on it, right? Yeah. So we're not having those type of conversations to really advance our friends. Mm-hmm. We're just being a shoulder, which right. is great sometimes. Right. But on the other end of it, are they getting better by having that conversation with you? Yeah. And so, yeah, we're sometimes we're not mentally prepared to take it either. But I think as friends um, or colleagues or peers or whatever, we have to be prepared ourselves, know ourselves to be able to be receptive of it. And, and that's another thing is like having um, those deep, meaningful connections with people so that they can talk to you in a way that you're going to understand. Because if some coworker is like, oh, it'll be okay, Amber, I'm going to be like, bitch, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you don't know me. Get your hand off me. No, it's not going to be okay. You don't know my life. You know, but <laughs> right. versus like somebody who knows me to be like, you fucking queen A, but you better get the fuck up. And I'm like, okay, yep, you're right, you're right, you're right. Let me get to because they got to talk to me. I think that's mm-hmm. a big part that is missing in our society right now is those meaningful relationships, right? Mm-hmm. We feel like we know people based upon their IG page. For sure. Their mm-hmm. Facebook page, their Twitter, if they still got MySpace, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. You know, they changed the background on that boy, yeah. right? Yeah. So, but we really don't know them. Because mm-hmm. we're spending so much time behind the screen, we're not having these type of conversations exactly. and grabbing a drink type conversations and things like I'm that. I'm having these kind of conversations on Facebook. And that's why, uh, that's some one thing I want to um, just say really quick. I That's one of the reasons why I asked, um, you know, and I just asked if 
uh, you guys wanted me to contribute anything was because I was so excited about um, talking for a minute on my thoughts because I'm so transparent on Facebook. Um, I'm actually, <clears throat> I'm an author and I'm finishing up a book that I'm writing called The Mindful Tramp. And it's about um, my life. I was actually kidnapped when I was uh, 18 years old and I was held against my will for nine months. Um, I was forced into prostitution. I ended up gaining the person's trust and escaping and having to completely rebuild my life. And that's, um, you know, but I was kind of thrown into this underbelly of society and I was a good person who, you know, mm -hmm. I felt like I didn't deserve all these things that happened. And when I got out of that situation, I was like, wow, you know, maybe I survived that for a reason. And so I started slowly sharing a lot of my experiences because of that. Um, you know, there's there's a value to shared experience and for to sure. talking to people and to letting somebody know that, that they're not alone. You know, what are you doing? My phone died. Oh. One thing, and I don't want to take away from, you know, the conversation we've had, but to put it in a little bit of a different direction is, so what do you do about it, right? Mm -hmm. So you so you go through experiences, you realize that now you're, you're on the other side of it, or for people who haven't even had these experiences that don't even know how to get to the, jeez, you good? <laughs> for people who don't know how to get to these positive mind spaces because they haven't been in the low ones, right? They don't know, you know, this one's better than another. Do you guys feel like there's any negative connotation to the person that's always taking care of their mental health? So, for instance, I feel like I'm... Probably, I don't know that that's possible. Well, look at it this way, that I'm always in a positive mind space most of the time, right? So, nine times out of ten, when something happens, I'm always going to be trying to twist it. To, to something positive, whether it's something I did or something that happens to me or something like that. And I think a lot of times people would look at that and they're like, well, you don't ever deal with anything, right? Or you're not taking responsibility for the things you do wrong. And and so you need to, you need to think about this more or you need to care more about what the actions you have affect other people, right? Well, let me ask you this. And yeah. this, this is just, this might sound too simple, um, but... You seem like somebody, to me, just my vibe that I get mm -hmm. from you is that, you know, you've kind of had, you know, maybe a good life overall. You don't have For a sure. lot to complain about. For Are sure. your parents still with us? Yeah. Both of them? Are yep. you close to them? Ish. Well, yeah. when the day comes, God forbid, that that you lose one of them, right. it's going to rock your world. Sure. And it doesn't matter what... Um, what your relationship was with them. Sure. It could be great. It, you could be estranged. Sure. It's going to devastate everything that you know. It's yep. your whole existence. Um, and, you know, so I, what my point in bringing that up is that what you're talking, what I feel like you're talking about is the everyday stuff. People look at you and they go, well, how do you keep up? You, how are how are you so positive with sure. all the everyday stuff that happens to all of us that right. some people can't handle real right. well? But what you don't know yet is how you're going to handle a situation that you haven't encountered. And we're talking about real grief. Right. We're talking about monumental grief. And so, 
Losing a child, losing yeah, a parent. It. You just did exactly what I'm talking about because you don't know anything <laughs> about what I've been through. And I'm, I'm saying no, I'm it not... sensitively. I'm saying you don't know anything I've been through. So sure. I had a divorce. But I, I was just using parents as an example for because sure, that's sure. something but so... No, but what I'm saying is you just did exactly what I mean. Right. Because you think that I haven't dealt with anything because of my outlook, right? Mm-hmm. And so maybe for me... And, and we use this, I haven't really had this, but maybe losing a job is the worst thing that happens to someone, right? So that's their monumental that's gr- grief. I've had a divorce, and my divorce was hard not because um, we were so perfect for each other, and it didn't, it was actually more of, and I've talked to Greg about this, it was more because my, this is going to sound crazy, and some people are going to be like, then why'd you mess it up? <laughs> but because my wife was perfect, Right. And it was really, really hard to deal with that pressure of, like, she's perfect, so I want to do the things that, on paper, she was perfect for anyone, right? But not perfect for me in real life. But on paper, I was like, I need to act this way. I need to not cuss. I need to not want to go out. I need to not want to go play basketball on Thursday. As opposed to finding a wife that that understands those are the things I need, right? So it was really hard for me getting a divorce because it was hard for me to let go and and be like, okay, divorce is the best thing to do. Looking back, a lot of people talk to me, they're like, I don't even know how you were with her, never mind (laughs) married to her. And they mean that in the best way because they understand the way I talk about her being so high. And they're like, you're not anything like her. And I'm like, I know, I don't know. But so the thing that is hard for people, they're like, okay, so then you started dating again when? And you moved away and you did all these things. How are you going to say you were so into this woman if that's the way you moved on however quick, right? And so my point more being how how do you deal with your mental health the right way? And the point is there is no right way because it's different for everyone. But, but how do you find that place? Am I saying that right? How do I find how the right way to, for you to deal with it is? Maybe that's a better way to put it. Mm-hmm. Because he's got a gambling addiction at one point, And he's got to pull himself out of that and, and figure it out. I had this divorce that was hanging over me. And the stigmatism in my own mind that I let this perfect person go. But in the grand scheme, it wasn't. You had your deal. And still are dealing with it. She had her deal. Like, I think I, you just brought up a really great point because I think you know I agree that I, I probably did walk into the example that you were trying to and it was perfect. give. It was perfect. But <laughs> at the same time, um, I think it just it really goes to further emphasize that the grief that you were experiencing was based on a choice that you knew you needed to make. Yeah, it wasn't forced sure you know what i mean like it wasn't like you woke up one day and your job was gone or you right. woke up one day and your parent was gone sure you know that's forced change sure the and and i think sometimes those things get you know we don't put as much effort or we don't put as much thought into how much it takes for somebody to make that type of decision sure. and what you know and the grief and the anguish and you know mm-hmm. mental processing that goes into it because we don't realize that there's a step-by-step process the same right. way that there is for getting gambling under sober. control, getting sober, doing, Never you know, all control. these things. Right. record. Well, yeah. right. You don't ever have it licked, but sometimes you can get a little bit of Better control go. over your life. Yeah, I do think yep. that. I, 
just to piggyback off of, I think this is what you were trying to go with it, is everybody has a different way, because we're all going to go through something. Right. Right? Whether it's grief, whatever. A choice I mean, we have to make. recently finding out that I thought my dad of 33 years isn't my real dad, right? Gosh. So, you know, everyone, that was just last week, by the way. Oh. Um, I think we all have a different way of handling things that keeps us either going this way or going that way, right? And the decision in that split second to either let it consume us or let it mold us is the difference between how we kind of go about something. Real quick, because I want you to answer your question with this. So how do you find your happy place? How do you make sure you're going this way? Obviously, we can't sit here and write out a list of how that happens. But I'm, I'm like... What are some of the things that people should be doing if we're going to be teaching someone people stuff from this conversation? What are the, mm-hmm. some of the things people should be doing yeah. to get on your the mold side? Was it left or right? I don't Meditate. know. <laughs> now now I think I'm going to make it right, and I should have been making yeah. left. No, go ahead. Well, no, I was going to say, and I was if I got this wrong, correct me, but I was half listening because I was. Yep. Anyway, um, so. Because I find it interesting, like, what you guys were talking about with you, with a lot of the situations that you've experienced have been almost, like, self-created or directed. Or it's like you had a hand. It's like. Yes and and no. But the point. uh, Like the divorce. I mean, like, that was. Yeah, I mean, yes and no. It it wasn't like she left you or she was, like, cheating on you. Yeah, it's a situation. So, but my thing is more point was that. Along that line, it's like, okay, I, f- I feel like I found my happy lane. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to stay in my left. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, <laughs> I'm going right. to stay in my happy right, lane. Right, right, right. is right. <laughs> right, right. So I'm going to stay in my happy lane, right? Mm-hmm. And so I did go a couple different places. But one of it was me saying, okay, so I'm always focused on staying in my happy lane. Like, I'm not going to let you take me out of my happy mm-hmm. lane. I'm not going to let a situation take me out of my happy lane. So that means, for example, if I broke up with someone today, right? I may go on a, what's today? Tuesday? I may go on a date Friday, and that might be how I stay in my happy lane. <laughs> Is that okay with her sister? If I if I go on a date on Friday? No. But if I'm legit in my happy lane, am I doing the wrong thing? That was one of the things. So, yeah, no. So, I think that's a good point because I'm like, okay, so do things not happen because you stay in your happy lane? Or do you... Or do you, are you able to stay in your happy lane because things don't happen? Like, my thing is, like, a lot of the shit that I've gone through in my life have not been a direct result of me doing something. It's been mm-hmm. shit that has fucking happened to me that I had no control over sure. or mm-hmm. little control over. So, like, literally, like, the book that I'm writing or whatever, is, I, I'm really seriously considering titling it A Series of Unfortunate Events because it's, like, a bunch of unfortunate-ass shit that I had no control over. Um, and as a result of that, I think it... It almost uh, cascaded me into not making the best choices um, because of things that happen. It's just like a fucking spiral effect. So whereas you can go on about your merry little way and keep your happy lane because shit doesn't really happen to you. Like I'm like, oh, I, I don't even have that option because that's what exactly what I'm trying to do. I am literally there. And because of shit that has happened in my past, because of who I had kids with or whatever, like I can be in my happy lane. And it will still get fucked up. Like I have no control over it. That's the point I'm making. If you're if you're in a happy place with yourself and you're confident in who you are, then you don't let outside circumstances change 
who you are and where you're going. And it's but okay when they're fucking up your that. life, and it's, it's a, not like they're fucking up my emotions. They're fucking with my life. Which even still, fucks with even my still. But what, but what <laughs> I'm right. saying is, you're fucking with my life. Yeah. Fucking with my emotions. You fucking with my money. You fucking with my. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? You mess with my so, life. So you're almost playing into it as well. In order to be in a lane that no one can affect, mm-hmm. I I get a negative connotation a lot because they're like you're selfish. And I'm like, no, I'm not selfish. I'm happy. I, I, I always look at you as like oblivious or aloof. That's how I see you. Exact same thing. It's, <laughs> I do. It's because you're because we had a conversation the other day, and we she's did. like, "How do you not see this?" And I'm like, "I see it. I don't care." Yeah, like I see it. You are relentless about not letting bullshit If it's not going to matter in five years to me, I'm not going to spend more than five minutes on it. Right, right, and that's and so I can't let people consume me and and drain me of my good vibes. Right, don't kill my vibes. (laughs) Right, for sure. So I. I have to consciously make an effort to recognize and discard. Mm. So I I have an issue, and I won't get into the details of it, but when people come to my house, right, and I'm truly an introvert. I have some extrovert type of um, times, but I'm I'm truly an introvert. But when, when things start going a certain way in conversations or um, it gets to that gossipy negativity of all the things they're dealing with. I just pull back. Pull back. Mm-hmm. Because if I insert myself, number one, they're not going to like what I have to say. And number two, it's just going to kill everything about me and who I am. And I think a lot of people in those circumstances to feel liked and feel comfortable and a part of that circle, they will put themselves in there. Mm-hmm. And so then that'll automatically, guilty by association, now create who you are. Because you become who you surround yourself with. Mm -hmm. That's why I like Alex so much. We don't need no more of him. Don't fuck that. And I'm saying that lightheartedly because I think mentally we both play sports. Right. Um, We're both confident in who we are. Mm -hmm. We both spend time getting back to your question earlier is how do you handle mental health? We both take time for our health. Mm -hmm. We value exercise Mm -hmm. and that mental release. Right. Um, I would venture to say I don't know this for sure. He probably reads quite a bit. I read. I don't read books. Yes, but he reads. I read a lot. Mm-hmm. Right? So he's always self-educating. I'm the same way. Mm-hmm. Right? So when you start doing those type of things, you will automatically gravitate towards people like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. As the same as if you're, you're, you're going through marital issues or your girlfriends are going out all the time, meeting low lives at the bar, whatever, you're going to have that too. Right. Right? So I think it's, it's how you direct your life and understanding that you... It's a circumstance. It's a situation. So if you let that situation become your reality, Mm -hmm. then that's who you become. For sure. And there's even... Oh, okay. And even so much when I talk about being selfish, I've even been thinking about it since you said it. If I was to lose one of my parents, and a lot of people will look at this the wrong way, I don't even know how sad I would be. Sad, like genuinely sad. Because you just look at it in a very realistic way. No, because I've had my life with them. I've had my life with them, and 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 I would remember things that happened. I think the only people that could die that I would be sad, genuinely sad, and I'm not even sure I'd be sad for me, is if my kids die. That because that's really the only time I get upset is when I hear a a child dies because they didn't have a choice and they didn't they didn't get to live the way they were going to live and do all that stuff. So my parents, because I had a had a friend probably one of my closest two or three friends that died at age 30 from like the rarest form of heart cancer. Right. And 
and I'm sure, and I was back in Indianapolis, and I'm sure people probably thought that I was either suppressing something or or cold-hearted because I wasn't devastated. You know what I mean? And because I knew how happy he was. I had my time with him. Uh, he didn't die suddenly, which may have made a difference. But so it was kind of like everyone preparing for it. But it's hard for me to say that. And, and I'm sure people have had a devastating loss. Look at that, me saying that and be like, whoa, what's wrong with him? Like, how is he, how is he okay with that? Like, but that, that's really the way I look at things because I'm, because I look at it, they have had my life with them. I don't look at it. Oh, I'm not going to get to spend any more time with them. And I think that's the different mindset. That's the different lane to where other things can't affect me. You know what I mean? Like we had a conversation right before, uh, we came on this where I was like, man, I got to make a change in my life. I, th- I really think I need to make a change in my life. And he, and you're probably, it probably clicks now. I was like, because I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I can't give up too much, but I'm like, I don't feel a certain way about the way this part of my life is going. Uh Right. And so that's getting out of my lane. It's starting to drift out of my lane to where it can affect me Uh moving forward. Uh And some people will look at it because that part of my life, a lot of people look at it that it's, it's great. It's, it's a, a lot of people would die to have their life go the way I'm talking about. But me saying that's not enough for me. A lot of people look at it and go, that's selfish. You like, you got a lot of people that maybe need your life to go the way it is. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm asking is a negative connotation about being selfish to stay in your lane, to stay in your positive lane mm-hmm. and things like that. No, it's I a lot it's, to think about, no, I but think, I think about it a lot. I think, well, and I, I mean, well, that goes to show that you're not like a heartless bastard. The fact sure. that you're like <laughs> thinking about it. Sure. So that's good. But no, I think it's hard for people who don't have who don't find it so easy to stay mm-hmm. in a happy lane to be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? It's like, not like, easy. Because like it's we do, easy. like I, it's, it, it's not like, I mean, and that's something that I think, you know, for my adult life, I've been gravitating towards more and more. And, and I'm, it's still, like I said earlier, it's a process. Like I have to constantly like remind myself and work through, like just staying positive, not letting people affect me, not taking things personal. Mm-hmm. Like just despite the circumstances that are happening, whether they're in my control or out of my control, just maintaining positivity. And sometimes it's just not that easy. And I'm just like, it's, it's frustrating to look at somebody who looks like they do it with so, mm-hmm. such ease. Looks easy. It yeah. looks easy. Yeah. And then to be like, and it's easy to equate mm-hmm. that to be like, well, he don't know mm-hmm. the shit. He ain't have a hard life. Right, like sure. that's, mm-hmm. exa- and I mean, I'm I'm telling you, that's how I look at you. So, or, mm-hmm. I mean, it's real shit. Right. So, well, for me, you know, I was just having this conversation with somebody recently, and I said that, you know, because from the time I was little, I knew I had a fucked up life that mm-hmm. nobody else had. You know, I didn't know anybody who, when I was six years old, whose mother was in prison and right. didn't know who their dad was. Right. So, um, from the time I was little, I knew that my life was really screwed up, and I, and as I and I think that was a huge problem was like feeling sorry for myself and you know not I just want to understand you were feeling sorry or you didn't think No, you I'm were. saying that's my that's been a problem as okay, I've right. grown up is learning how not to feel sorry right, for right, myself right. about all these situations. And I think um you know a conversation that I was having with somebody um kind of got off track cuz I forgot what I was saying but um what were we just talking about I have about? a question <laughs> yeah. I have a question though. Would it have been better if you did know someone who was like you, who had the same hardships you have? Yeah, I think so. I mean, as a kid, certainly. Right. 
you know, because I felt so alienated. Right. I mean, I didn't have anybody that I could talk to about these experiences. I mean, even as an adult, I mean, I don't know anybody who's been kidnapped. Right. And held in a room against their will. I don't either. You know? (laughs) And I don't know anyone who's escaped a situation, you know, and Mm -hmm. had to, you know, put their life back together. And, um, you know, there... What, what, what were we talking about, like, right before this? Because I wanted it to make was, it, like, a really cool point. It was staying in your happy lane, finding your happy lane, and staying in your happy lane. And, and is it selfish to, to do everything And you're talking about necessary. being six and how you had known... Yeah, I mean, when... Anyone. You know, when you say, like, is it selfish? Um, that's a conversation that I just... I feel like it's really relevant because... You have to watch out for yourself, but at the same time, you know, you Be have cognizant to. cognizant of those around you, right? right? Mm-hmm. You know, this is, if we're talking about mental health, we're talking about everyone's mental health. And just like she was saying, there's a duality to, um, you know, I know it's kind of skipping around, but just what, you know, what we expect of ourselves and what other people expect of us, There, there's a duality there. You know, when you said that... Um, you know, about boundaries, about your friend, you know, having a friend that dumps all their shit on you. You know, you want to be that person that somebody can feel safe and trust, you know, to come to with their the problems. Rock. But at the right. same time, you don't want someone that's going to consistently shit on sure. you because they know that you're going to listen to all their drama. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a duality like that sure. to every situation. I think, you know, yeah. where you have to find a balance. There's a balance to, you know, every every scenario right. in life. And I think also, too, I mean, you obviously have relationships with a lot of people. You have friends, you have coworkers, you have, you know, family, you have all of this. And so if you're just, like, grazing along, happy-go-lucky, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that the situations you encounter with these people, that they're experience that, experiencing that same sense of, of oh, um, nonchalant. Mm-hmm. or whatever. No, so, so you might be affecting other people, and and, and it's their problem to you know sure. handle their own mental health. However, I still feel like we have a responsibility as human beings to those around us and to those that we interact with to be cognizant of their feelings and of their mental and emotional health, so that we're not contributing in a negative way to that. But so, I, so here's. Just one quick thing, just to piggyback that. I think this is, if we were to end this conversation today, I think I would challenge everyone. We're not going to end it today. No, I'm saying like several convos. I mean, right now. If we were to end this conversation right now, I think it'd be important for everybody that's listening in or watching this to take five minutes and rank these things in order of how they prioritize these things in their life right now. Work, family, religion, and health, their health, okay? If you rank those, anything besides your health being number one, we have a problem. Yeah, because you can't do the rest of them. You can't, all the rest don't matter. Exactly. Yeah, you, you literally just said it. Where I was like, work, family, that's fucked up, but that's my order. It was like right. work, family, religion, and then health. That is my order. Well, yeah. maybe then you help the them. Right. So yeah. if you think about Me, that, I ain't even on a scale. <laughs> right. If you think about that for just two seconds and you, and you think about, okay, you spend... If work is your number one and you spend the most time doing that, and then family's second and you spend the most time doing that, and you spend a little bit on religion, where's the time for you? Well, for sure, that's why I'm trying to work. <laughs> so that's why that mental health piece, mm-hmm. that's that's how our society is functioning right now. And so three years ago, when I, be, when I got sober and decided that now was the time that I needed to make a decision, 
I had to have a conversation with my wife and explain to her, I know family is number one to you, okay? I wish it could be number one for me, but health has to be number one for me. So it's my health, my family, my career, and everything else that falls beneath that. Because I cannot do the things that I want to do with my family at work and, and my friends and everyone else if my health is not where it needs to and be. And everyone would agree with that because everyone can think of your mental breakdown. Everyone can think of a time when they were paralyzed by their own mental health or their own health. I mean, if you get sick, obviously that's the easy way to look at it. But that makes the most sense. Yeah. Whether it's 30 minutes a day, 20 minutes, an hour of you meditating, you know, 10 minutes. (laughs) If if, if you go into the gym, you know, reading and coloring, you know, coloring is another mindless thing that all you're thinking about is staying in between the lines, right? It's a mental break, right? Doing a puzzle. I'm working on one right now in the basement. There you go. So those are things that need to happen so that way you can fill your cup back up and then pour it out for the individuals that need you. Yeah. And I say two things. One goes along the lines of this when you say there's duality and people around you may not be living the same way. I think it's funny that people who are happy or want to be happy draw to me the most. Those are the people that are all that are that like just how Greg said they I, I like Alex and the the first compliment they have for me is you are always so positive. Like I don't get how you're always so positive. And and I feel like those people appreciate it. I feel like mm-hmm. it's people who haven't found that lane that look at it. And maybe it's jealousy. And that sounds really cocky to say. But maybe they're jealous of the is. fact that yeah. they're like, man, like Alex is always happy. And he hasn't dealt with anything. So I, I can't relate to Alex. Mm-hmm. Oh. Well, and I think that's a good opportunity for you to share some experience with for people sure. and let them know, you know, like that there's you know something below that surface because mm-hmm. and I don't mean that you have a surface level personality right. but if that's what you show people sure. then that's then you're doing good because sure. you're radiating that and that's that was what that was the thought that I had or, um, a minute ago that I had forgotten um when I was young and I was in you know these really you know this very unique circumstance um <clears throat> from the time I can remember I have been fascinated by happy people yeah like Happy people that you know went through some shit. And everyone is. That's like, where Instagram when I know, comes from. That's why everyone loves Instagram. But no, I'm talking about... happy on there. Well, no. This is what I'm saying is when I... Like, when you overhear somebody and they talk about how they were, like, raped or molested or mm-hmm. they had, you yeah. know, like, they lost both of their parents in a house fire yeah. and, you know, and they're, like, legitimately happy and it's, like, yeah. radiates from them and you're... And I'm just like, how did you mm-hmm. heal from that? Yeah. Yeah. They didn't man, have social you, media. Man, you yeah. healed like a motherfucker. You <laughs> yeah. know, like you just, it's like you don't even know that they went through anything. But then when they tell you their story, you know that that's where that beautiful ending came from. Mm-hmm. Because yes. they made peace with it. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, and those have always been the most intriguing people to me that are just... Hell people, yeah, I was on dope. Hell yeah, I was homeless. Mm-hmm. And they are like smiling. And people they don't are, come out of those situations though. If they don't have a positive outlook on it, absolutely, because it will consume them. Mm -hmm. They will think that is the end instead of the beginning. And I think that's the reason that a lot of people, you know, like I'm always so confused when people say like, man, I don't know how you made it through so much stuff. And it was like, 
because I didn't have a fucking option. I wasn't right, sure. giving up. Yeah. I wasn't dying there. And I, I wasn't, point, you know, I like. I think that, that everyone does have that certain special something within themselves, whatever it may be, whether it's their spirit or their DNA or I don't, I don't know. But, I mean, there's a reason why some people are able to navigate a certain situation and come out of it amazing with a testimony and to inspire others and why some people succumb to, to that situation. Mm-hmm. And, and that's one thing I, <laughs> I, mean, I asked you. Well, hence why I asked you if you feel like you would have been better had you known people that had been through the same thing Absolutely. at the same time. Yeah. Because I think um, one of the things that got me through that whole, like, divorce, depression thing um, was the thought that this is – I'm not the first person that gets that mm-hmm. got a divorce. And that's easy to say about divorce, right? all of a ha- sudden you're in a new category right. of your friends where right. you can rely on your friends who are divorced to give right. you advice. And yeah. you weren't in that category right. before. Right. And so it's like I'm not the first person to get a divorce. And I think I look at everything like that. I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not the first person. This that. isn't very unique. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right. Exactly. And, but nothing is unique. Mm-hmm. No one you're, no one living right now is the first one to experience anything. You know what I mean? And so that's why I always wonder – how powerful it is to be around other people that have the same circumstances as you. Because obviously mm-hmm. you, you go to a, uh, Alcohol Anonymous, Anonymous Group. A-A-G-A, right? Yep. And, and you deal with it with people with you. Those are good, but I feel like that may even keep it a little bit surface as much as like really knowing someone that's been through something you've been through. And, mm-hmm. and so how do you link people with like experiences, like truly link people with like experiences? I'm sure there's programs for different things, but... Um, well, but, I think social media is a great way to connect with stuff. But, but the problem is, like Greg says, <laughs> yes. and, and what she said as well, to, is people aren't showing the real on yeah. social that's media. That's what I was going to so say. Is it's more people, st- you know, have to really stand up and say, this was my experience. Who, sure. who else has yeah, been through the same thing? That's you something know? that you do really well on social media. I know you were talking about how you encourage these conversations online. And the same thing with me. Like, I'm always getting people to have real conversations online and off on the podcast and off um always keeping it real on my social i have to constantly remind people that i'm not fucking perfect for some reason there's way too many people that think i'm fucking perfect and i'm like dude listen i have so much shit like i and i have to like constantly like share all of the negative things about me and my life and everything to remind people that just because I'm sharing the happy shit and I'm doing all of this stuff doesn't mean that I'm not still experiencing real life shit all day every day like mm-hmm. um and I do try to in one sense the people that are in my life I try to add, that are actively in my life I try to shield them from <laughs> what is my life mm-hmm. and on the so other nice. hand the people who are more on the outside but why because I, because like I said earlier, like the drama. No, like I'm not gonna be <laughs> that person. People. Like I feel like it's, it's oftentimes too much for me to handle. I'm not gonna put it on anyone else, and that's why like I've chose to like continue to remain single since but my isn't divorce. That, isn't because that literally the definition of what we're doing right now. Because we want to make people aware and be confident to be able to talk right. about mental health, right? But you don't have so to educating. bring people in that, though. You, you can educate without bringing them in. And that's it. what I do. And that's exactly okay. my point. Right. So the people who are actively involved in my life, I try to shield them from the realities of everything that I go through. Because I feel like mm-hmm. it's a lot for people to bear. On the other hand, though, I commun- I express a- everything that I'm going through. Um 
in a very strategic way mm-hmm. to others who don't who don't have active roles in my life so that they can be educated, so they can learn, so they can be inspired, so they can have these conversations at home. So they can kind of, like, for whatever reason, I take these people's <clears throat> perceptions of me and I'm like, okay, that's what you see. Well, understand that someone that you have that perception of can also have this facet to them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I'm always doing that all day, every day. But I, but I make a choice to be conscious and careful of what I expose those who are actively involved in my life to that's going on, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's like you have to keep people at a safe distance for, for not sure. only your own protection, but for theirs as well. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Were I you about to say something? Yeah, I was just going to piggyback. One of the things that it made me think differently was you mentioned, you know, you, we go to these GA or A meetings and, you know, they're kind of similar, but we don't really connect on a deeper level. Mm-hmm. What deeper of a level can you connect with someone than understanding their rock bottom? Well... So it's one understanding their rock bottom, but I I don't I meet you today. We have the same problem, right? Yeah. We sit we sit there and talk about our what happened before, right? But you're not going to keep doing what you were doing before, right? We're here to no, not do not. that, right? But what a week after week after week, what we sure. are going to start talking about is what led to that. Sure. What are you doing now? Right. What so that's your what I'm week saying. to week experiences, right? So that's where I challenge that because any therapy group or therapy circle or any individuals, I pick up stuff. I go every Wednesday, sure. eight o'clock. Okay. Yeah. I pick up something different mm-hmm. from a newbie that's coming in the room. Yeah. Right. Just make keep me sane to realize that it's still just as bad out there than when right. I left it. Right. right. Or a veteran, um, uh, a guy named Mike that has 17 years sober. Right. You know, has drug addiction and gambler, gambling addiction as well, too, and alcohol addiction. And so what I pick up from him is not just him retelling his story over and over and over. Yeah. It's the little things that he says or interjects from what he's learned from the group, from what he's seen out there, right. that is helping me stay sane. Sure. So I would I would challenge you by saying that, I'm probably deeper connected with the individuals that are consistently at those meetings than probably 95% of the people in my life. Sure, and I'm and that's great because what I was asking was a question, not necessarily saying that you can, that those aren't the deepest connections. I'm saying are they versus something else? And yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah. what that something else is and maybe that's what it is, but I guarantee you for the example of people that go to those meetings, don't go anymore, and then go right back to what they were doing before, there's another connection to be had that's not being had in those meetings. They weren't ready. Right, they were there's ready. A difference. Or for Misty, she's put into a situation before she even got to make a choice, right? Mm-hmm. So she she's put in this situation and alienated before she even got to make the choice of, uh, well, I'm going to let this affect me or not. It's already affecting yep. it. So how do you identify those things early? Or for someone that's having a great life, right? I'm having a great life. I go to a great school. I go to a great college. I get a great job. And then, like Missy said, both my parents die in a car accident. That person has no idea how to deal with anything, right? Where do they go? Where where am I going to for someone to help me through both my parents dying at the same time, there, I don't know that there is a meeting, and if there is a meeting, I may not be able to find it. So I'm, so now I'm spiraling, and I didn't even get to make a choice on what happened. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so the point wasn't to say those meetings aren't good. The point was to say what well, the question really is: like, how do you help? How do you how do you find these connections? How do we educate? Which is once once again, like I said, we don't sit here and write a list 
in this meeting to say this is how to stay good. I think conversations like this should inspire people to, um, you know, I mean, for example, it's the reason that I've started talking more openly about my mental health and mm-hmm. about the different things that have helped me is because people aren't going to know these things if I don't tell them. Yeah, for and sure, if that's I what just I'm saying. sit here and that's I exactly sit in I'm my saying. house and I, you know, do what I do to help me mm-hmm. and I go, well, I don't know if anybody's going to like this or I don't know what they're going to think about it, you know, but, you know, it... It's the people who stand up and say, hey, anybody else suffering with anything? Sure. Come on with me. You know what I mean? We'll go talk about this. And mm-hmm. and those people are the ones who start organizations and they mm-hmm. start groups and they start support networks for people. Mm-hmm. And this is something that's that I can, I can testify to for myself um, because – it was four years ago that I released my story on social media. Um, I wrote a, a photo blog, and it was me holding a sign, um, you know, and it, and, and it was a very um, kind of in-your-face type mm-hmm. of uh, photo blog because I was holding a sign that said, well, fuck to end sex trafficking. And it was because I was homeless, and, you know, and then I wrote a whole story to go with it. And, um, and once I did that... Uh, my entire life changed for the simple reason that I wasn't trying to bullshit anybody anymore. Mm -hmm. I wasn't trying to bullshit anybody anymore. And I knew, and this is, and this is the real thing I had spent, you know, let's say from 25 to 30, because probably about around, around 20. Well, I've been sober for, from street drugs for, uh, nine years. So, Around that time is when I really started kind of taking a look at myself. I had had a couple relapses prior to that. But, um, you know, it was at that time that I was like, you know, I I just want to be away from this part of my life. I want to just get some years of sobriety under my belt. And I want to, and I don't want to talk about my past. Mm -hmm. So I became a photographer and I became the uh, sports photographer for um, a school district near where I live and um nobody would have known what happened to me if I hadn't told them sure mm-hmm. because I had spent that whole time reinventing myself into this person that I was just a kid's school photographer sure. and um I resigned from that position after uh three years because I knew that I wanted to tell my story and I knew it wasn't appropriate for me to continue to work with kids and so um at that time, there was one person, actually the uh, the director of the youth program at this school. Um, I gave my resignation to her, and she was extremely sweet to me. She she's one of my biggest supporters to this day. I don't think I would have had the, you know, nerve to do it if she didn't kind of kick me through the door. And she was sure. like, "You already quit. You're going. Yeah. You know, like yeah, yeah. you don't have a job. Just do it. Yeah. You know." And um, and I released my story, and I. You know, it's kind of that whole, you know, like I became my authentic self. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't trying to bullshit anybody. I wasn't trying to candy coat anything. Um, and I was also, my goal was to make something that was very, um, you know, at that time, sex trafficking was not talked about as sure. much as it is today. This was right, four or yeah. five years ago. Um, at that time, anybody that knew me, I was the only person that they knew that that had ever happened to. Sure. 
personally. And so um, I felt like that I had an obligation and a responsibility to spread that information and help dissect that for people mm. because I wanted people to understand how a girl like me ends up in that sure. situation. Yeah. That's, you know, that's huge. And, you know, we appreciate you sharing that too. Right. It's touched a lot. It's probably touched a lot of lives up there as well too. And it, and I think it has, and that's, you know, my point in bringing, bringing this up is that when I, when I told, when I started telling bits and pieces of my story and then I finally strung it all together and I said, this is what really happened to me. Um, I started getting, you know, phone calls, emails, friend requests. Um, I was people, just going to say the same thing. People that literally reached out to me from across the country yep. and, acro- and around the world that I would have never known before who reached out to me to tell me thank you just for sharing mm-hmm. my story. Yeah. Because they had never heard anybody talk about it so openly and with, and still with compassion toward myself. Sure. Because I try not to blame, you know, I was fucking 18 years old. I wasn't an adult yet, you know, really. I was, my grandmother had just died. And I was, um, I actually was still 17 when it happened. And so um, when, uh, you know, when I shared my story, that completely revolutionized my life. Because, you know, I felt like I was really in this, like, sense of shock at first, because I was like, oh, wow, I really did Yeah, it. what did I just what do? Did, did I you just have a weight do? lifted off your shoulders? <laughs> uh, yeah. But um, interesting side note, when I, when I made my post, I had 800 friends. And within 72 hours, 300 people deleted me. Yeah. And just because I had admitted to being a prostitute sure. in the past. Yeah. Simply for that. Um. And slowly, it kind of bottomed out around 500. Mm -hmm. And then it slowly started to build and build and build. And then I didn't really let a lot of new people on my page for a while. And and I probably got like maybe 1,000 on my old page. Um, But I have a new Facebook page that's dedicated to all the stuff that I talk about. And Mm -hmm. it it doesn't have pictures of my kids and stuff because I like to keep a lot of that private. Um. And uh, my point is, I've got 5,000 followers on Facebook, um, not much on Instagram. I don't, mm-hmm. I'm not really, like, Instagram savvy yet. Um, but, uh, you know, between my friends and followers, I mean, there's 5,000 people, and most of them are in my local area. If yeah. you pull up somebody on my Facebook that lives in my area, we have 300 mutual friends. Right. Because I'm friends with everyone. And I... And and my rules for engagement when I decided to do all this, and I said, you know what, you guys want to see me pursue my dreams? I'm going to do it in front of all of you guys. Mm-hmm. And I've and over the last two years, you know, my friends and family and followers have watched me do all these different things that I've kind of manifested in my life. And I and it was an experiment. When I the when I, the day that I I still remember it, the day that I clicked enter. And I hit submit, and that post went up that first minute. Right before that, I had a long talk with myself, and I said, after this, you're going to have a responsibility because sure. you're going to have to continue to talk mm-hmm. about some tough sure. shit. And I said, well, as long as I tell the truth, I maintain my dignity and my integrity. Yeah. I don't use these situations to throw anybody under the bus. Yeah. 
and I do it for the greater good, then it's all going to work out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I got a book mm-hmm. that's coming this summer yeah. that is, you know, uh, something that I'm, uh, it's been an accomplishment that I, di- I almost didn't, what you know, that it almost never happened. Sure. And, and partially um, because of a lot of the, you know, those, the mental health struggles along the way. I mean, mm-hmm. this book is a true testament to the fact that even when I didn't fucking want to, I sat my ass down and yeah, wrote, wrote, you know, mm-hmm. and there's days that I don't because I don't, I don't feel like it because mm-hmm. um, I have other shit on my mind. But it's the point of continuously sitting back down and making sure that it gets done because that's a goal of mine. And... You know, like how we started this whole thing talking about Big Sean, you know, having to take a break and take yeah. a step back. Yeah. Um, this, my book is a testament to that because if I didn't take the breaks that I needed, this thing wouldn't have gotten done because I would have just gave up. I would sure. have never taken the, the time to pull back and reassess and think mm-hmm. about where I wanted to go with this next part or yeah. where, you know, what my vision for, you know. And I will say this. Because this is this is an important um, example. I started writing this book a year and a half ago, and um, the most interesting thing about this entire process is that when I started writing the book, it was about um, you know it was about a woman who was making peace with the fact that she may or may not ever find her father. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning of the book, you don't know whether that happens or not. The reader doesn't know because. I didn't fucking know because I'm not the person today that started writing that book. You know right. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, we're two different people. Like, what are the chances that I would start writing this book, not know who my dad was, and as it's coming to an end, the reader mm-hmm. is finding out with me, literally. I'm, right. You know, so for those two things to be overlapping has been a very profound thing for me. So it's been necessary for me to take a step back and reflect over the last six months about my, you know, how my feelings and my thoughts and my emotions have changed, how I've changed, you know. And um, I personally am a big fan of the Phoenix analogy mm-hmm. because that situation came into my life and was like a bomb that went off. And it's like all these little shards of me are everywhere. Right. And there's right. some that are lost and I'm never yeah. going to find them. Yeah. And, real quick, and I got to pick up the pieces and jam them all back together into something that looks cute. Right. <laughs> you know, the ones I can find. I think that's an important thing. I think we all have to kind of go through that. And I just want to speak to kind of what your overall message there was. And then I know we got to wrap up. But um, the authenticity. And I think, Greg, you can probably attest to that. Like, yeah. That's one of the things I've been ha- I've been holding on to mm-hmm. here in a second. So yeah. go ahead and say what you're going to say, and then I'll just. Yeah. I mean, really, I was just going to put it back on you, but I think that that is that is truly if there is a magic key into kind of breaking into um, working on your mental health, it is it is finding the strength or the courage to be to live your authentic self, to own your shit, like all your shit yeah, own absolutely. it and live authentically because i know it feels so good to not have to like live up to this perception hide and lie and like feel like you have this facade what if you have find to live out up this to. thing i don't yeah that no, i'm not fuck proud it. of own it and live it in like that in of itself just whoo, right? yeah and that's why i asked her if she felt like a weight was lifted off her shoulders i, I know i mean we're in detroit right you guys seen the movie Eight Mile? Mm-hmm. You remember the, that the last rap battle, right? <laughs> Where he tells everything about himself yes. 
yeah. and then hands the mic over and says, Tell these motherfuckers something they don't know about me or some shit like right? that. Yeah, that's my shit. <laughs> right? And that's really, I mean, if you look at it, you're owning who you are and you're saying, come fuck with me. Yeah. Right. Right? And so I, I look at that and that honesty in itself is what builds loyalty and builds true meaningful relationships. Mm-hmm. When people can say, I know her. Mm-hmm. I know him. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. That's where this thing has to go. And because people are are literally craving that right now, it's like, do I really know this person? Mm-hmm. Right. Right. I went through probably a month ago and just scrubbed off probably four or five hundred people I was following and stuff like that. Yeah. I'm like, you know what? They be showing all really this, like but I really don't anymore. know them person. <laughs> right. Right. And I, and I look at that and that's really to your point is at that very moment when you hit submit and send, you are owning who you are and who you're going to be moving forward. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what you do day one when you go into any recovery, mm-hmm. when you talk to any group, is you say, hi, my name's Greg, and I'm a grateful recovering gambler. So I just want to leave with that. I, I think that I that's great. AA. I'm glad I that. AA. I'm glad that, that, that you got a lot out of that because yeah. that's, that's exactly what got me in the so. right direction. That's huge. That's it for me. Go yeah, ahead. that's it. No, I'm good. I want to say thank you guys for inviting me. Uh, thank yeah, you for coming yeah. so we much. Definitely, this is a conversation that needs to go on Absolutely. for so long. Um, right. And and you guys are welcome to come back. You know, if it's up anytime. to me, whenever. So I'll really be back tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Greg will definitely be back. We have other stuff to talk about. We're just gonna set this up in the living room. Yeah, play yeah. some dominoes. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, all right. Well, you can catch me at. Um, the Ultimate Bachelor is the podcast um, a, at U-L-T-B-A-C-H. Dirty, flirty, and thriving. Or the best Amber. Then, Misty Hoffman, the Mindful Tramp. Okay. And you can follow me at Grit underscore Academy. All right. That's it. Thank All you. Right.